This is the VIP Podcast, Virginia in Politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP Podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors. It's great to be back here again on the VIP podcast with our brand new VIP, Mayor LeVar Stoney of the city of Richmond. Great to have you here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, the VIP podcast is brought to you by VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free, of which I am its executive director. And LeVar, you and I have known each other for a number of years. A number of years. We're, we're, we're veterans in this game. I remember when you were a delegate, member of the General Assembly. I know. And, uh, you know, when you were uh, just a, a, a young spunky kid up at James That's Madison. Right. That's right. <laughs> so we've always gotten along. We've always sort of in the, been in the back row chumming it up. That's right. Having a good time. And now you're the you're the mayor of Richmond in your second term. Second term. Um, you don't have midterms. No midterms here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's get to know Mayor LeVar Stoney on a more personal level since you've been known so much as a in, in the political sense. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our viewers have known you in the Secretary of Commonwealth and the McAuliffe administration. And now you're mayor in your second term. Still a young lad. You know, I guess they'll yeah. feel that what way. Are you, 41? 41. 41. 41. 41. That's great. Um, what are your favorite uh, movies? Let's uh, just jump right movies. into the rap- my rapid fire round of get to know the guy. Favorite movies. If, if you're a friend of me, you probably know that I'm a big fan of the Five Heartbeats. You ever heard of Five Heartbeats? About, it's about a, 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 a soul group from the 1960s goes through their trials and tribulations okay. on how to break out and whatnot. Um, one of my favorites. Kind of like, you know, the Five Temptations. Yeah, you got to check it out. Okay. Um, Motown-based? Motown, sort of like a Motown okay. flair to it and whatnot. Okay. Yeah. I, originally from Detroit. Okay. As a, as a, as a youth. Uh, so Five Heartbeats. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm also a big fan of, um, uh, you know, What's the movie? Now I'm like drawing a blank right here. Right. <laughs> no one preps you for these. Yeah, no, I'm drawing a blank right here. Five Heartbeats is my favorite. Okay. Um, and what's it? Harrison Ford. Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yes, when he left uh, the jail uh, and he, The Fugitive. Oh, The Fugitive. Well, believe it or not, The Fugitive is one of my favorites as well. That's and a also great movie. Any Given Sunday as well. Okay. Any given football Sunday. story. So every time before Election Day, ever Cameron since Diaz. I was in college, I've always watched again, Any Given Sunday. The Monday night before the Tuesday. Why do you watch that? What's what's the lesson there that you say I have to watch? Well, that this? Al Pacino speech really gets me going, right? That you have to crawl and fight for every inch, which is a little bit you know Lombardi in there and whatnot. Uh, that really gets me going, but also it shows you how a, a guy, Jamie Foxx's character, right, starts up all high, has to get humbled, but then rises to the occasion when yeah. he's called off the bench. Jamie and guess Fox. what? Being in public office, you know about this. Yeah. If you don't humble yourself, the job will humble you. That's all the advice I give to people who get elected to office. I, my friend is the mayor, just got elected mayor of Farmville, um, Brian Vincent. And I said to him, like, you know what? If you don't do this job in a humble, humble fashion, the job will certainly humble you. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, and I, I love the humility vein with, that you just tap because I have an expression in politics. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. It's be humble, or be humbled. There you go. Same because thing. It's, it, it'll drop you. There's, right. there's because you're in a human service business. Um, there are so many facets to this, to this, and I hate to say game, business, reality, industry, whatever it is, mm-hmm. whatever, the, whatever we term this uh, profession that we're in. Um, it, 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 ta- it, it finds every crack in your psyche. And you I know, think. 
and it's different for legislators versus mayors, right, or, or, or municipal executives, chief executives, whatever you want to call it. When you're a mayor, particularly we have a more of a strong mayor form of government here in Richmond, uh, and if you're, a, you know, if you're the mayor of Philadelphia, the mayor of Baltimore, the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, wherever you may be, you have to throw yourself into this work. Mm-hmm. And so um, Michael Nutter, the former mayor of Philadelphia, yeah. said it's almost like jumping off the stage and crowd surfing. You want people to catch you and you have to ride the crowd. Right. And they don't have to catch you. They don't have to catch you. That's right. And so you have to jump off right. the stage. You have to take that leap right. and just be amongst the people. And that's a part of the job that I right. think people sometimes don't see. That's very true. Uh, favorite TV show? Favorite TV show. Uh, favorite TV show. Uh, I like House of Cards. Okay. One of my favorites. Um, favorite TV show. Uh, Martin. Remember Martin? Yeah. Martin Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite sitcoms of all time. Funny guy. Yeah. Real funny guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me laugh. You know, I turn yeah. on, you know, now it's in syndication now, so I can watch it anytime I want to. So it helps fill the time. Is that now when you go home at night and you're trying to chill out and turn it off because politics never turns <laughs> off, as you know. That's right. It never turns off. Yeah. You're always getting texted or emailed or something. Yeah. Do you throw anything on the television just to brain drain? Oh, you mean CNN? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. That wasn't me. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my fiance would probably say, like, you know, we, we'll watch some shows. We'll get into some shows. Right. Uh, we recently you know, watched, uh, you know, The Dahmer on Netflix. Oh, we really? That. that was hard to watch. Disturbing. Very disturbing. We watched that. Uh, we've watched some shows on HBO Max, like you know, The Mayor of Easttown, something that stood okay. out to me. Uh, so we, we but, get but, into... But you, you tend towards a competitive, political persuasion. We like that. Persuasion. Yeah. Does she like that, yeah. too? Yeah, she likes some of that as well. Okay. We, she likes some of the true crime stuff as well. Okay. You know, now, there was some TV out there that you know, people like watching some of this reality sort of TV. The only reality TV that we normally watch is 60 Days In. Have you ever heard of it? No. It's when regular people go into a jail, a corrections facility oh, really? for 60 days. Wait, okay. <laughs> you you see a lot and you see folks who they <laughs> act all you, you yeah, see a lot in prison you, for you, 60 you, days. They too? they act all big and bad, right? Talking all, yeah. oh my gosh, you know, we're going to go in and show these folks what's going on like, you know, they're sitting there watching big screen TVs and no. watching NFL football no. and they get in there like this is not what I thought it was. No. Some people don't even make it out of processing. Because they're just, they freak out? Yes. Okay. But also, it puts a highlight on the conditions as well that are in a lot of these facilities, right? right? Like, they're, you know, it's not good. they are not Hiltons. No. They're not Marriott's. They're not good. But I think there are some, there certainly have been some human rights violations as well. Oh. That, you know, I just was talking to uh, the House Minority Leader last week, Don Scott, mm-hmm. maybe week before, and he had just gotten back from a prison. I forget which one it was. It was not Essex or down that way, Greensville. And he said... This year alone, eight people have died in the correctional facility he just visited from an overdose of drugs, from wow. heroin overdose, in prison. Wow. Wow. How in the hell and so, are these people getting heroin to the point at which they can be addicted, you know, continue their addiction and overdose in prison and die? So in 60 Days In, it <laughs> shows how during processing some of the, some of the, the searches are not thorough. The oh, way really? they're getting it in. I'm like, they're obviously not thorough, but the thing is, you know, how you get it in and then how you ingest it wouldn't yeah. be me. No. no, no. <laughs> wouldn't be and me. This is sort of a family show. <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite books? Favorite books. Or are you reading one now? Um, 
You know what? I'm reading Jonathan Martin's book now. Are you? Yeah, J Mart. Yeah, J Mart's book right now on you know New York Times best-selling author and all that. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading that right now. One Straight my, out of Virginia politics. Yes. J. Mark. Yes. I bought the, the book. I, you know, I'm really interested in reading Ralph Northam's book right now. I think Does I. Do you have a book out? Well, uh, Margaret Eads uh, oh, authored oh, a book. Oh, that book. Yes. Okay. Oh, that book. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm interested in reading that, so I pre-ordered that on Amazon. Um, one of my favorite books, though, um, uh, is the, the Good Earth by Pearl S. Buck. Okay. It's something I, you know, I read that back in the day. It always stuck with me. Um, it just, it, it's just a, yeah, uh, you know, just a book that I, I when, you know, when you pick up a book and you're like, man, I still remember that book from the time I read it back oh, yeah. in yeah, seventh yeah, yeah. grade to yeah. the day. It shows you that it sticks yeah. with you. Yeah. That you, you finally comprehended it. And, and uh, that's one thing I, you know, when you, when you're, when you're responsible for so many children, twenty four thousand children in Richmond Public Schools, it's like you know. You learn to read and you read to learn, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm fortunate enough that I remember when I first picked up a book and I couldn't, I remember when I couldn't read. And then my dad did the whole follow the finger across the words. Okay. And I was like, he said, see, just string it all together. Okay. And it just was like a light bulb. And, like that's a light bulb. It, that's and I've been reading ever since. But to me, that's the power of having someone in the home Helping you do all this stuff, and guess what? A lot of our kids don't have that. Don't get that. Don't get and they that. need two, in That's my right. estimation, because it's it's otherwise mm -hmm. otherwise you're in a zone defense. I, you know, luckily it's I have my grandmother and my father, so I had that reinforcement of you know what? You can do anything right. you put your mind to. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And so that's what that's how I ended up in public service. Well, let's come to that in a second. But since you also did sports as a as a as a, now, I'm a big sports guy. Okay. What particularly football. Team? Football teams. I know you're a football guy too, right? I didn't play it. You didn't play I, it. I played rugby. You just seemed to be a little. I played rugby. Built. Yeah. 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 Played rugby and catcher in in uh, in, uh, in baseball as well. So favorite teams. Favorite teams. Uh, I'm a huge New York Jets fan. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Well, we're tied for. Well, you were born in Nassau County, New York. That's exactly that's right. I was did born in Long Island. Your, did it come from those days? That came from my, my father was so a big Jets fan. disappointment then. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, glutton for punishment. You like Tom Brady then? Uh, heck no. <laughs> 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 I like him in Tampa. Okay. I don't like him right, right, right. as a New, New England Jets country. fan. Yeah. So I grew up a Jets fan. I grew up a, a Knicks fan. Okay. I, can, uh, I can grew up a, an you. Islanders hockey fan. Oh, God, that's just a bloody And a Mets fan. So yeah, I'm okay. a, I've been a you're, glutton. You're, you're, you're that strain of New York. Yeah, Long Island, Long right? Island. Yeah. But I moved. We moved to Virginia back when I was seven years old. Okay, that stuck with you. And so I never could become a, a Washington Commanders fan. I just never could do it. My brother didn't do it as well. He became a 49ers fan. So okay. we just chose our own way. No, know? that was uh, the the uh, other than the Islanders and the Jets. Uh, yeah, you're doing okay. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and the Knicks. I used to see the Knicks. And I'm a big James Madison football fan. Okay, let's talk about. Uh, did you play for them? I did not play. Did okay. not play. You played. In I was school. told you maybe you should walk on, and I was like. Ah. Because you went Tab High School, well, yep. which is located where? New in Orleans. York County, Yorktown, Virginia. Okay, yeah. Yorktown. And you played football there, uh, very successful. You chose to go to James Madison. Were you looking at any other schools? Oh, I was looking at a ton of other schools. You know, I was going to be the first person in my family to go to college. And I thought, man, it's so cool that I'm getting all these, you know, these mailers from USC and from the wow. from St. Louis, you know, University of Washington, St. Louis. All these places were mailing me. And I realized it was all part of the... the the, the show, you know, like, you know, they want everybody to, and then I, I remember my dad said, well, you're going to a state school. And I said, okay, so bye-bye USC and bye-bye all these other out-of-state schools, put them in a box, threw them in the garbage, 
focused on the in-state schools. Where'd you want to go? What was your dream school? Before, you know what? before reality hits in, like, look, you're going to state school. You, I get the conversation. We've had it with our kids, too, over the years. Yeah. Can't well, do everything. No lie. Growing up, I thought I was going to go to William & Mary. Really? Yeah. Okay. I thought, well, it's close to, close to home. Sure. Right? It was the, one of the first campuses I stepped foot on. Growing up in York County, you know, you got Williamsburg and William & Mary, and you got Hampton and Hampton University. Those were the two campuses that I had first stepped foot on. Okay. Um, Hampton. Okay. And so I, I, I went to William & Mary for a couple of these conferences first, uh, on leadership and diversity. And uh, that's actually where I met Jeff Bourne for the first time. Really? He was an uh, older fella. Delegate Jeff Bourne. Delegate Jeff Bourne. Warner, Warner administration. And I was like, I, I put it all together. I pieced it all together. I was like, you were, he's like, yeah, I probably was there. I was like, because you look familiar. And I was a little, maybe ninth grader, 10th grader. Okay. And um, he was there uh, in college at the time. Um, didn't get into Will Mary. Uh, I applied to CNU and I applied to. Okay. To Longwood, uh, Randolph Macon. Um, I was recruited to play football at Randolph Macon. Yeah, that would make and, sense. And um, D three, good D three. That's right. And, the and, and also VMI. I was recruited to play football at VMI okay. as well. And I just decided, um, you know what? I want to go to a school that just, you know, I feel some sort of attachment to. Yeah. And I, when I ran track, I had visited uh, Bridgeforth Stadium. Okay. In Harrisonburg twice because I was in the state championship twice for track and I just that's the only time I ever stepped foot on JMU's campus okay a friend of mine comes to me he says I'm not applying to JMU and I have the application and I was like well I need that application because I didn't have a computer in the home and so I, I wrote all my applications out I, I wow. filled it all out by, my, by hand he brings it to school on the day of the deadline that it needed to be postmarked I fill it out in class I take my personal statement match them match them together I send it off, and then some months later, I get that big package yeah, in the in. mail. Yeah, I nice. remember going, you know, I lived in an apartment complex, opening up the mailbox. I saw that big package, and I was always told, when the package is meaty, <laughs> yeah. you're probably going to be getting in. And I got that, that uh, ran home. I remember I sprinted home. I told my grandma, I was like, I got it in the college. Grandma, I got it in the That's college. Awesome. And, you know, my grandmother, she didn't graduate from high school, and so yeah. she didn't really... Yeah. She knew I was going away, but she didn't really grasp it. Like, I'm, I'm going to college, Grandma. And I read that letter, and it said that you have been admitted to James Madison University contingent upon your completion of our summer remedial program. Okay. And I went to, after I graduated, I graduated, let's say, on a Friday. I was in James Madison on a Saturday. For the summer program? For the summer program for two months. Wow. Yeah. I aced that program, and I was like, I'm here for the long term. And and you you... Obviously, successfully graduated, but you were involved in in politics at a very young age. Yeah, were you involved in politics in high school? I was involved. I was always involved in student government, student always. council. Always. Why is that? What, Elementary what, school. What is it about? Let's get to the why question. What you you, you all, the the narrative here is you know obviously very political. You've been very political from a from a young age. It's yeah. not, not a knock. It's an observation. Yeah. I was involved in, in high school government, college government, you know, student government, all that kind of stuff too. Um, and I always try to understand and get the audience to understand what drives you. What I mean, what what makes you do that in the first place, and why do you stick with it? I mean, what is it? What do you see as the reason to do yeah. it in the first place and remain with it? Um, well, it's it's twofold. It's first it begins with family and what I and what I learned in school as well. And it's just a little bit of curiosity on on the school side. At home, we were a family that. I, my grandmother didn't vote. My father didn't vote. Um, they were sort of passive 
you know, they had a lot of commentary about what was going on, but they really didn't, didn't vote. But when you brought up certain subjects like John F. Kennedy or Dr. King, they had a lot to say. Okay. And my grandmother was a big fan of John F. Kennedy. She was a, a fan of Roosevelt because, you know, she was born in 1923 when the Depression hit. She knew, she thought one way about Hoover and another way about how FDR uh, saved the country. And so that started to be ingrained in me and then Kennedy's work and, you know, the sort of the aura and the, the, the sort of, you know, around the legend around John F. Kennedy and, and Bobby Kennedy. And so that got me curious. And then I would go to school and I remember being in elementary school, they did not allow the little elementary school kids, like the first and second graders, to check out the books of the presidents. And I thought there was something wrong with that. I was like, yeah. I don't want to check out the Berenstain Bears or you know, Dr. Seuss. I want to check out you know, the books. I want to check out these presidential bi biographies. Due to the conversation that was going on in your household. That's even right. It wasn't, even they weren't. So I don't care who they were, whether it was Martin Van Buren or you know, was, James K. Polk. Because your, your family was talking about it. I wanted to check out and sure. read every one of those books. And sure. I probably had some difficulty reading the books. And I just didn't want to stick to the pictures. There weren't a lot of pictures in these biographies. But I wanted to challenge myself to read some of these books. And so um, the, the teacher and the librarian allowed me to do so. Oh, nice. And for me, it was like, these are mortal men who just decided to, and I know there's a lot to their stories, but mortal men who just you know, gave themselves to public service. Sure. And I thought, you know, wow, they're, they are contributing to something that's larger than themselves. And I think I've always been interested in doing something that's just larger than, than you know, than but my... But was it, was it also that your grandmother and your father were talking about this and because that elevated the conversation and they admired them, you read about them and yeah. sort of said, you know... I can do that this, too. And to be admired by my family, can I emulate what's going on here and is that sort of like a, a drive in that direction it was and i'll just so give you a, a court you know for my own personal story i grew up uh my childhood hero was roberto clemente okay didn't really see, i never i saw him play once live um as an all-star game in the early 70s but my grandmother had a season ticket to the pirates by herself and she took the trolley over to oakland in forbes field uh -huh. and 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 i was very young five six years of age when you know we finally when he passed unfortunately but I idolized the guy I never saw because my grandmother idolized him and said, he's not only a great ball player, he's a better man. Mm, mm. And that, that sticks with mm -hmm. you. When you, when you, when when you adore your grandmother and mm -hmm. she says, this is the ideal, and you go, I, I, okay, where do I go for that? You know, that always drove me to, to, to pursue that and why I, you know, Clemente the Great One is, is, is idolized in, That's our, right. in our house. Mm -hmm. um, just, and and my just, grandmother, I think a similar story where she yeah. was like, this was a good man. He was good to people. Right. And the unfortunate part is the tragedy that comes with whether, you know, it was Rob, Bobby Kennedy or John F. Kennedy, you know, is being assassinated while in service to others. Mm -hmm. And so when I figured out what I wanted to do with my life, you know, I remember I, I wanted to be a weatherman initially. And I told my grandmother, I was like, I like just, you know, you forecasting the weather, you know? Of our storm. <laughs> yeah, right. I was just like, you know, I would turn the TV on mute and go to the weather channel or go would and try and like, you know, forecast the weather. And I said, grandma, I said, grandma, I've changed my mind. I think I want to be a politician when I grow up. And she said, boy, well, you probably chose the right one because they both lie. And I was like, grandma, <laughs> grandma, come on, give me some, <laughs> give me some, not me. But she was really, she never got to see me, um, serve as secretary of the commonwealth mm. see me serve as mayor but she cautioned me at a very young age that she's like 
because when we talked about Dr. King and Bobby Kennedy and John F. Kennedy, she was like, no, you can't do that. They'll kill you. Mm. Anyone trying to do good, they will assassinate. They will take off the, you know, they will, they will snuff out. Sure. And that kind of sort of like scared me. I was like, why would she say that? Well, that's but then that, that's her. That's right. Right. right? right, right, right. Anyone who's trying to do good for, you know, the people, you know, uh, get or um, in danger. But have you, uh, you've, I mean, it's not been a non-controversial time in America, and certainly you've had your uh, turn uh, in some of the, um, what's the, uh, the <laughs> recent unpleasantries, um, going back through the, the, the 2020 summer. Um, have you had any experience in, you know, recognizing my grandma was right, they're trying to kill me? <laughs> any, any serious security breaches or problems where you were, like, scared? Yeah, you know, there have been moments where there were probably people around me or my family that were more scared for me and my safety were concerned but about were my you? safety. But were you? I mean, because, I, mean, I mean, like, Grandma was right. I'm, this is like, this is like a well, big deal. Well, you know, standing on the, on the front of City Hall amongst thousands of people and when, you know, that was a scary moment. I mean, I was literally not having eaten, not hadn't sleep, slept. I didn't sleep. I, I you know. I had to drink a lot of water. People were like, why were you? Sh I was shaking because I was dehydrated. I was right. shaking because it was a little really, fear there. Adrenaline and was so, flowing. I'm that's sure. right. And the adrenaline was flowing as well. And, you know, uh, that was a scary moment. It was What did you learn from all that? Oh, resilience, right? Resilience. And you know what? You're not going to please 100% of people. That's just the bottom line. And also, on that moment in time, right then and there, I realized I could have given the crowd the red meat, right? Give them what they it's want to hear. It's very alluring. It's right? very alluring. Like very alluring. the attraction of giving them the red mm -hmm. meat of like, you know, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to fire everyone now because of that. Right. I, I could have done that. Um, but I knew that wasn't the right thing to do. I had a responsibility uh, to let the investigations play itself out as well. Mm -hmm. But also I, I wanted to listen and hear what they, what they wanted to see. Um, I did march the, the, that afternoon and whatnot. And so for me, it was to not cave in, do, what, do your job, right? And not, it, it's, I see now when I look at some of these other politicians out there who are at these rallies and they give folks the red meat, it's very, it's so attractive. Oh, I guess. Part up right? in there. This is a magnetism. It's like if I give them what they want, the crowd will go roar, and, and I can see how that whole mob mentality can start mm -hmm. to take place. Mm -hmm. And I did not give the crowd what they wanted that day, and I got booed, and I got uh, cursed. Yeah. Uh, I got things thrown at me. And you know what? I still still think that is one of the you know, It's a little tra traumatizing. I'll admit that, right? But... Uh, it just shows that you can bounce back from something like that. Well, it's also you, you, you learn uh, sort of the, the pace and tempo of a lot of events and like this is going to blow over. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to get through this. Mm -hmm. And there were some sleepless nights there, Chris, though. But I would imagine there were. There were some I mean, sleepless nights. There had nights. to have been. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't pleasant for, for most people in the city. Uh, it must have been a very difficult time. Yep. But I've been, as you know, in front of those crowds of 10,000, 20,000, giving the speech, getting them in cadence, getting that rhythm going. That's right. And blowing the roof off, right? Mm -hmm. And you get off stage and people are like, oh my God, that was amazing. And I'm like, well, I'll never forget this, this guy who was Mid-Atlantic Regional Manager for McCain back in 08. He's like, that was amazing. Is it better than sex? And I was like, I was like, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, why? <laughs> he wasn't expecting me to say that. I was like, yeah, it was. He's like, why? I'm like, it'll last longer. <laughs> Well, it's the adrenaline part of it, right? And when I went out there, I'll admit, 
you know, we looked at the phone, uh, at the video on the phone. I was like, oh, there's only about like 20 people out there. And then by the time I walked out there, there were thousands. Oh, it blows up, especially in today's viral reality world. I mean, and you think it's far more expansive than it is, and it's really not. It's yeah. so ephemeral. It's 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 centimeter uh, uh, deep and a thousands of miles wide, and it's just and it blows away for the most part. Not that that did. Well, that was a difficult. That was a difficult most things, month. That was a difficult, difficult, very difficult time. <laughs> but most things in politics, yeah. the ups and downs. You know, just get through this. And, is, and you know what? I think social media sort of. Uh, leads you there, right? That mm-hmm. everything has to be this instant gratification. I got to respond right now. That's one thing I learned from that whole time period really is know. that you don't have to, don't be driven by social media. Just do what's right. Just right. do your job, yeah. right? Hear both sides don't and make a decision, yeah. right? I think Tim Kaine learned that uh, from the Virginia Tech experience and what's recently happened at the University of Virginia this week. Um, you know, he was out there early saying, look, let's get the facts, mm-hmm. do a review, don't rush to judgment. And I think that's a, a wise counsel for most things in politics. You know, people, get, get the facts. That's right. it's, as Bill Lighty said, you know, the first moments of a crisis, no one gets it right. That's right. You know, and, and social media it clouds the, ju- you know, one yeah. of the best, one of the best pieces of advice came from folks in the North camp during that time. Uh, and they said, like, Mayor, if you are on social media, get off of social it's media. It's not going to help you. And I've been divorced from social media ever since. I have my own presence on there sure. that, you know, that, are, run by, that are managed, but yeah. I, I don't partake in it. Yeah. Well, they learned That's right. a, a difficult lesson. That's well. right. <laughs> the veterans understand these things. That's right. It's, you don't need to continue the conversation. It, it only feeds the fire. There we go. It only feeds the fire. Let's, uh, let's talk to this, about the city of Richmond now. Um, we've been talking about education. Yep. How are the city schools of uh, Richmond doing? Well, you know what? I thought we were doing quite well uh, before the pandemic. And then although kids were learning during the pandemic when schools were shut down, we have taken obviously some steps back. You know, uh, teachers have, were asked to do a whole lot more than they were normally requested to do. And here's the thing, teachers are asked to do a ton. And they did a ton during right. uh, the pandemic, teaching from their homes. Uh, and trying to get kids uh, engaged uh, across the screen, a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, and so when you think about that, and then the fact that a lot of the safety net apparatus was also sort of on pause as well or, mm-hmm. or shut down, a lot of our kids, many of them who are living all below the poverty line or right. a, a little bit above the poverty line, they, they, they have certainly struggled. But I know that the kids in Richmond Public Schools are very resilient. And the, the teachers who care for them every day love them. And so we're going to do everything we can to get back to where we were pre-pandemic. Now, will it be overnight? It will not be overnight. You're seeing these numbers, not just here in Virginia, but all across the country. And so, yes, we want to keep our standards high, but we're going to, it's going to take some time to get them back to where they were. And we're going to see this just, there are going to be some societal um, ramifications because of the pandemic, I think. And the education learning loss is just one of them. Well, um, does that mean following what happened to you and saying, look, these kids need to be remediated and have them go to uh, essentially year-round summer schooling to, to get them back to grade Chris, level or get them reading and following the finger? You know, we've got to get these kids back in the books. I'm a all of the above, throw the kitchen sink at the, at the problem sort of person. And I believe a part of the solution here is uh, enhanced school days or enhanced uh, academic calendars. And that means year-round school. I mean, our kids need it. Um, and there are some parents who are calling for it as well. Now, if you have access to resources where your kid can get some, you know, some enrichment outside the classroom on, you know, you know post 
their academic calendar year. Right. Or whatever, yeah, you're going to be okay. Right. But think about the kids who are living in some of the public housing mm -hmm. um, um, communities in Richmond. You know, that learning loss really is exacerbated during the summertime. Absolutely. And so it's bad I, enough anyway. Yeah, it's bad enough already. And so I'm all about year-round school. I'm all about enhancing the school day. I'm very proud of the work that we've already done. You know, after-school programming was a major thing for me in my first term, uh, allowing, uh, allowing for access for all elementary schoolers and middle schoolers. We've actually uh, invested more in that by using some of our parks and recreation, but also mm -hmm. a number of our nonprofit partners as well, like Next Up, a local nonprofit uh, in town that's focused on after-school uh, programming. They have been uh, essentially a, a godsend for us in helping our kids yeah. get back to that standard that they were prior to the pandemic. When you, when you mentioned the, the Margaret Eads book and Northman administration and some of the lessons they said they shared with you, um, what would you have told, if you could go back in time and say, you didn't do this well relative to schools, what should they have done? Didn't do well when it comes to schools. You know, I, I, I would want to see more uh, innovation. Because the studies are out. More it, it, innovation. The kids, the kids were just... You know, it, it didn't go well for kids. More innovation around, you know, longer school days or... or, or well, I mean, what did they not do well that they should have done? Well, well here's the thing. It's okay to go back and criticize. It's, it's how we get better as a society. Well, well, here's the thing. The North administration or all the administrations of the 50 states and all the cities or not, they had to respond to a... A pandemic, a virus that was right. showing, uh, right? Uh, mm -hmm. When I look back at that, everyone's going to have the empathy for that kind that's of reality. Right. When I look back at that, the fact that schools were closed, I think that you know, it's okay to say, like, you know what, we may have made a mistake in closing schools. That may have been the case, but at the time, using the information that we have today, well, right, we had to do what we, you know, what, what, there's always the action after action reviews. Now, for me though, looking back at it, we could have been a little bit um, bolder in our approach when it comes to some of the lockdowns and whatnot and the restrictions and said, instead of closing schools, maybe we should have the bars closed a little bit longer, the restaurants closed a little bit longer. So, but you see when you're in these, you know, me and the governor, we were in these positions where we had to make a choice, right? We didn't know what the virus was gonna do to a child. We didn't know what the virus was gonna do uh, to, to families and whatnot, particularly families but who- That aside, I mean, we, we understand that. What could have been done to mitigate the academic um, losses suffered by the children? Is that the only way to do this was to shut down the schools and then say, well, you know, because, you know, they seem to graduate a lot of kids on time, which I found a little bit mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. that that would have happened in a time of pandemic when the schools were closed. Uh, seems to me they were passed on through uh, social promotion. But we're in a season now, we kind of go, okay, what works in education? Because yeah. that didn't. So if it happens again, and it very well could, we have to have, you know, the flu is coming up. You never know if to shut down for weeks at a time, weather, whatever. What are key ingredients that you have to go, when this happens, folks, this is how we get kids educated. Well, now, Chris, we know that we can slap a mask on someone and we actually can go to school. Okay. Right? That's a whole lot better than... So we're not going to shut down the schools. That, that's better than learning across the screen, right? Without question. That should be the last option. Is learning. Okay. But we had to learn that, right? Of course. Right? We had to learn that. We didn't know whether or not we could slap a mask on a child and they can go in and actually participate in the learning process. Now we do. And so in the future, we know that kids being in school has to be the number one priority. And if that means that we as adults have to sacrifice a little, then we should make the sacrifice.
What I mean by that is that if that means that we uh, can't go to the bars, we can't go to the restaurants, then that's a sacrifice that I think we have to make. And then, uh, so, in year-round schooling to catch up until we get to oh, that point? Oh, I'm a big proponent. I'm very upset with my, you know, my friends on school board who have chosen not to go the pathway. Of, Why aren't they doing this? I mean, it sounds like, you know, we, we missed the time in class. The time you make up in class is, is really, really important. Very, very Not important. just academically, but socially as well. And getting these kids out doing recess and extracurriculars and really developing them as, as the whole I know some will say the cost is the issue, but I, I would be ready to fund something like that. I would be ready to hand over the dollars to Richmond Public Schools to, uh, to enhance their calendar. I'm all about that, and I think Jason Cameron has offered that a few times. All you need is five votes. We have nine members of the school board. We can't get to five. We, we can get to four. We can't get to five. Speaking of school boards and policies, uh, the day you got your uh, letter from the packet from James Madison, yep. big day in the, in the, Huge in the family. Um, should that be available to students in K through 12 to go to schools of their choice? Schools of their choice. As, as in, And families going to schools of their choice. I'm, I, here's the thing. I'm a public school guy. All right? I, I believe investing in public schools. Uh, I'm, I'm open to magnet schools. I'm open to uh, lab schools as well. But I'm, I'm all about making sure that we fund public schools. And so if we can create those choices within the public school system, uh, heck yeah, I'm open to it. But, but so I'm public a, school choice, but not including uh, private and parochial schools. I'm not, I'm, I'm, not using, I'm not for using public dollars for private school choices. It, and that's K through 12. In higher education, mm -hmm. uh, long policy in the Commonwealth has been to publicly support private colleges yes. through the TAG program. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of schools benefit from that. Mm -hmm. is that. Is there a difference in the policy? Well, I think there are funny. Do we, do, we, do we differentiate between a kid who goes to a high school in Richmond and a college in Virginia? They get money from the state to go to pick one. Holland, Sweet Briar, Liberty, yeah, Randolph, Randolph Macon. Randolph Macon. Right? You were going to go. And here's the thing: considering Randolph when I when I was uh, considering Randolph Macon uh, back in 1999, 2000, uh, when they gave me my here's they don't do like scholarships like they right, do so the Division One level, right? They give you your the package. your package, yeah, right? <laughs> the package. And I remember looking at the package, and tag was on the package, and I was like, oh, what's okay. tag? I don't know what tag is. <laughs> tag it's not until yeah, tag is some money that I'm going to be getting whatever. I I get that. Uh, but the sort of the, the the sort of amount of dollars that are and you know this the amount that we invest in tag versus we invest in actual funding of higher ed vastly different. Which saves money. Vastly different because it saves money. Mm -hmm. It saves money to send kids to private colleges versus funding the full rate at a public college. Well, see, I'm a see, I'm a believer, Chris, that I think that for our kids not to end up in debt, that we should do what we did when I was in college some 20 years ago, roughly that we should be funding higher ed a lot more than what we're doing it today. Don't, don't, don't disagree there. I mean, I remember back in the day that there were people who lived in, kids who lived in New Jersey and kids who lived in Pennsylvania who came south of Virginia using our great Virginia schools mm -hmm. uh, because the Delta, because they, it was more expensive to go to school in New Jersey and in New York. And they were ending oh, up yeah. down here there's in no, our system. No question. Now, we've caught up with them and they, they get more per, you know, in, in grants and aid to go to their schools than we get for our kids. Mm -hmm. That's a problem, mm -hmm. right? And my fear nowadays is that the door of higher ed, that opportunity is being closed for kids like me. Kids growing up on free and reduced lunch with, you know, a single parent in the home 
is that opportunity still available for a child like me who's living in Stanton, who's living in Roanoke? I know those kids. Were, and my I, fear, I raised it, those it, kids in my house. I, <laughs> I, my I did. fear, I did. My fear that not my kids. Other but kids. I get, yeah, yeah. I fear that door is closing. Very much so. And so, what does it take? Here, this is it. It does take investment. Someone will tell you it's not all about money, Mr. Mayor. True, it's not all about money, but it does take investment. And I think. Uh, but you, you said kitchen sink, all of the above. Why do we preclude that from the conversation? Because it's a it's a strong part of the, uh, the the narrative coming out of the pandemic that kids who performed went to private schools and parochial schools did okay, if not better than the public schools. Because and they were able to and be charters are, and charters are public schools. You know, the well, Obama, we have a Obama administration. We have a charter in Richmond. We could do more. If there was more political heft behind that, and throughout the state we have less than ten, mm -hmm. you know, we have, we have, we have yeah. very successful schools servicing uh, poor students, uh, Christo Ray and uh, Julia Cooper. Uh, those are service, serving a lot of kids. Who those are private are schools, private not charter. schools, yeah, yeah, yeah. Funded through the educational tax credit program. Mm -hmm. um, shouldn't we be doing more of that? All the above kitchen sink approach, whatever works for the child, whatever gets that packet that gives them that hope that's going to get them to the next level. Why do we say we can't do that? For I, private schools, I, I would yeah, we do it for colleges. I would to the say, tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. I would say this though: Why can't we do that for our public schools though as well? We do. Well, we're not doing it. Well. Not doing it very well. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mayor, you're the mayor. Well, well yeah, you've been here and, for six years. And under my time, we've seen a 33 percent increase in funding the rich and public schools. So the That's funding's more, okay. The funding is okay. Okay, right? well, you just said it wasn't. Well, well, we had a pandemic also. Well, I don't disagree. Well, the funding is okay from the city. The funding's not okay from the state. Well, the state doesn't have entire responsibility. Well, the, the, if you think that localities all across the Commonwealth have to pick up the tab for public education, so you're making places like Petersburg pick up the tab, where they're already dealing with a smaller tax base, because you all know that we, we pay for our schools through real estate taxes. So you're telling Petersburg or Emporia that you have to dig deep and raise your real estate taxes to pay for your schools? I just think that's unfair. Well, can't we save money by having kids not go to public schools? So you're saying we should do away with public schools? God, no. My kids graduated from public schools. Why would I do that? It's, it's, that's, that's not, but I think that's that's not, that's not a rational, slope, That's not a rational argument. I think that's the slippery slope. 90% plus of kids go to public schools. I think that's the slippery slope. Slippery slope, slope is going to a private school? No, the slippery slope is like, not funding public schools, or reason not to when fund public schools. When have we not funded schools? public schools? When, when have we cut public school funding? Well, what I know I mean, is The this, reality is we're running into a Medicaid versus education reality. What I know Fair? is this, the standards of quality Fair? have not been funded by, by Virginia. Does, it, does that equate to family choices and going to schools they want to go to? Well, I guarantee to anyway? if, you, if you funded the standards of quality where they should be, that would solve the problem. That it would give better public choices to the kids who attend our schools private? today. Why not private choices? Why, why, why do they have well, to Well, why, why buy this system and start, why build this system and start it? It doesn't fit every person, every person, every family, I recognize it? this, and that's for a family to make that choice, but why starve the public school system? Who said anything about that the tax public schools? All I'm saying is let the kids I, go to private schools. I'm saying, I'm saying that the state has starved public schools. That's what I'm saying. I don't care whether it's the Democrat, state's starving them. Democrats or Republican, the state has starved public schools all throughout the Commonwealth. That's the problem. Southwest and urban areas as well. And why do you and think rural that? areas you and urban areas. Why do you think that is? You because were, you were involved in the budget. I mean, I remember during the, the uh, <laughs> during the transition for the McAuliffe administration. And I, 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 we had our conversation before, and I'm like, there's here's some things that are realities with the General Assembly, 
and you know, obviously, you have a lot of uh, sway in the Democratic Party. You're a, a, a leader. Um, you know, seen as a leader. You're you're involved nationally in the mayor's associations. Um, you have the conversations. You mm -hmm. have the platform. Mm -hmm. You have the bullhorn. And I think actions speak louder than words. And you look at the actions that my administration has made in Richmond over the course of the last six years, you see an administration that has put more dollars into Richmond public schools and public schools, period, uh, that, than, than any mayor in a generation. And you also will see that we do the extra outside of school as well, because that's what's necessary. A child spends 80% of their time outside of school. That's why we invest in after school programming, all the other essentials that are necessary that got me through, uh, through public education. Right. Right. That's what's necessary. And guess what? I don't believe the state is doing that. Is they're doing enough? Why not? You've been around long enough to have an opinion on why the funding doesn't go to where you think it should go to. You were involved in the administration. You've been a mayor for six years. You've got to have some sense of the, the Virginia budget realities. I think I'm going to lead with this one. Okay. Uh, the Met growth in Medicaid has it's eating up. Has, we're on a collision course between K through 12 and Medicaid. And that's just the reality. The, the, the annual growth of Medicaid, everyone talking about expansion of Medicaid, Medicaid expands every year, mm -hmm. you know, significantly. And those dollars get taken away from, mm -hmm. from K through 12 and higher education. Mm -hmm. Fair? Fair. Last 20 years, you've said it, you know, when you went to college, where it is today. It's a different. The prices, but look at the Medicaid budget then versus where it is today. Mm -hmm. How do we solve those deltas and get the funding to where it goes, but also recognizing, I think, that kids who just need a different environment should be able to go to a different environment. Well, it sounds like we're having a revenue discussion here. Or an expenditure problem. Well, I think one's healthcare. No one's in no Richmond right now. One's healthcare, and one, one's healthcare and one's education are, are essential. Those are have tos. Yeah, have tos. Have -tos. Right? You got to pay. You, you got to pay for that. And so the question is: Do I think we have a revenue problem? Do I believe that we should reform the current system, the tax system in, in Virginia? Yeah, long overdue. Okay, what's it should be? What it should be? What's long, it should be? Long That's overdue. Great I, not an whether it's the, the what, what should the what should the tax structure of Virginia be to keep us competitive with our peer states that we are trying to grow um, businesses here and attract businesses to the Commonwealth? What should it be? Here's the thing: because the, the trend is moving away from income tax and go to consumption-based taxes. Well, uh, sales taxes essentially. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and right now we have a. a the way that I only can speak to localities at the moment, right? Right. The, the, the fact that localities have but so many options available to them, and that is mainly real estate. Mm -hmm. Nope. Right? Don't I'm, I'm experiencing right it's, now. It's, it's a small toolbox. I love my city. I love that more people are, 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 are moving to Richmond. It's an attractive place. We become a magnet pre pandemic and post pandemic as well. And you've seen home prices and home values go up, and people are getting squeezed out. But the largest pool of revenues that I have as a mayor is real estate taxes. Yep. I have no other options. Right. I think the state has to trust the localities and put more options on the table. Okay. So we can fund, you know, we're talking about, you know, schools right now, public, public education. So we can have more options on how we go about funding public education. Right now, it's real estate taxes. Right. Give us more tools and what, maybe we can do something about What tools do you that. want? Well, you know, I think there are some, some sales taxes that, you know, they gave you us the plastic. Meals, you have meals taxes. We have, have meals taxes. Sales taxes. And you control those. We don't have income taxes. You know, do you want income tax for the city of Richmond? You know what? I look at my friends who are mayors in, let's say, Ohio and uh, uh, places like that, and they have income taxes as, uh, available to them. So you want local income taxes throughout Virginia? I, I, here's the thing. 
I want the option. Okay. So you opt in. I want you have to go to permission. Get that's permission exactly, to the General Assembly. That's exactly right. I want. Let us choose. Here's the thing. The Let Dil- us choose. The Dillon's rule. The Dil- Dillon's rule has made a lot of localities suffer. Right. Just give this localities, cities like mine, these a, a larger toolbox. Okay. Right now they don't give us that toolbox. And so when people yell at me about you know, uh, Bear, why is why are you giving a rebate to? Uh, you know, to this landowner, this property owner, sure. I'm like, well, that's the only tool that I have. Okay. And so if I want to, I can't target the relief, right? I can't target the relief to Miss Jackson who's living down the street right. uh, on, on 35th Street. I got to actually give it across the board, whether it's commercial or residential. Give us more tools. We're going to have to end it here because <laughs> I see the, the signs going up over here. I'd love to continue the conversation. I would love always to as well. I always enjoy talking with yes. you. Yes. It's always an exciting and fun conversation. We didn't get a chance to talk about the midterms. That's well, okay. well, you come back. We'll talk about, we'll the, talk midterms. about the midterms. We'll talk about the midterms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't go too well. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't do, I can't do it. Well, there's another red wave coming as we <laughs> the, red, the, red, the, red wave is, the red wave is coming. <laughs> anyway, this is Chris Saxman on the VIP podcast with our brand new VIP. Mayor LaVar Stoney of the City of Richmond, please uh, like, subscribe, and share on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Thanks again to VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia, and Virginia Free for sponsoring this program. Thanks for joining us.